Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Wednesday, September 16th of 2020. As you all know, the clock is clicked, it's, it's ticking, and we are closer, as uh, Paul said in the book of Romans, than when we first begun. We are excited about all the things that... Uh, you know, that we draw strength from in knowing that Jesus is coming back again. As always, it is a pleasure to have you, the listener, join us today as we come together and do what we do, which is study the Word of God. And 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 we have been in this week in a tremendous study in the book of Psalms. And we pray that you have been blessed. And if this is your first time, second, third time, if you haven't been able to hear the podcast in this week, we uh, we encourage you to do so, to follow what uh, God is saying in this hour. We're excited about what God has today. We're excited always to open the Word of God and to see the things that are happening and, and what God is revealing to us. Today in our panel, we have uh, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando joining us. And as always, it is a pleasure and an honor to be studying the Word of God at such a time like this. As we go into the word, I'll give it to you, Brother Marty, to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the word of God together. Amen. This is part three of our series this week. We're continuing to look at, uh, uh, we actually began this study in Psalm 74 with, with Asaph, uh, the, the great choir directors of, of the house of God. And uh, in that psalm, we began to see the great depth by which he he wrote We've only actually explored three verses in Psalm 74, uh, which we will be returning to. But that took us to begin to to dig a little deeper into the background and the kind of historical events uh, that led up to Asaph actually being appointed as the one, him and his brothers, uh, who would take care of the Ark of the Covenant, which is where many of the of the prophetic psalms that Asaph wrote and his brethren uh, wrote, uh, were, were, were discovered. And so as we did that, we began to look back and to see how is it that, that, uh, that the ark came to Jerusalem under King David, and that's what we've been looking at. And in that, we have been seeing, as we look at all scripture, for the prophetic intent in how the historical events which we read about um, bring insight and understanding to the times that we find ourselves living in right now. And so we're going to continue to look at a few more things today, and we're going to begin as we continue to study the ark and where it would come to, where it came to the house of Obed-Edom, as we've seen. Uh, they brought the ark out, and, and they were stopped right in their tracks. They were not allowed by the Spirit of the Lord to bring the ark to Jerusalem and we've discussed why that is, but we're going to look a little deeper today, even even more so. There's still yet some things to look at uh, before we move along uh, and and come to rest at the <laughs> at the ministry of Asaph and dig further into Psalm 74. So, with that in mind, Brother Jeremy, would you once again, as we encourage you that are listening, to ter- to open your Bibles to to First Chronicles chapter 13. We're going to again begin there, and I'm going to have Brother Jeremy read us verse 3 through 7 as we begin our study in the Word of God today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother Jeremy. Amen. 
And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kerjath-Jerim. And David went up in all Israel to Baalah, that is, to Kerjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Adinadad, Abinadad, in Usa and Ahai, drew the cart. Amen. And so in verse 6 it says, And David went up, and all Israel to Baalah, which is renamed or was renamed Kirjath Jerim, which belongs to Judah. They went there to bring up the ark of the Lord that dwells between the cherubim, whose name is called upon it. And so we begin our study today. In yesterday's podcast, we we dug deeper into King David's desire to bring the ark, which represents the presence of God, to Jerusalem. And as we said, we've been exploring the development of Asaph, and we have begun our study last week in Psalm 74. And now this has led us, like we said, to go back and to explore what Asaph witnessed, because it's key to understanding his prophecies in Psalm 74, and we'll see that as we go along in this study in the days ahead. But again, understand that what Asaph experienced, what he saw King David do, all that transpired, which brought eventually the ark to Jerusalem, and it was placed in what is now known as the Tabernacle of David. All these events that happened, and and ultimately when the ark was brought there and placed in the tent that David pitched for it, a new tabernacle, that he was then, he then turned over the keeping of the presence of God to Asaph. And so that's what we've been exploring. What did he go through and what did he witness and what does it imply for our times? Because it it really is relevant. So we're looking a little deeper today because there is much more to be gleaned here, a little bit more understanding. As we've seen, if you remember, King David became king after King Saul and his sons were slain on the mountains of Gilboa. And after he was slain, the people moved to make him the king over Judah. And David's first act as king was to seek to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. And what Brother Jeremy just read there in verse 3, it said, David said, let us bring the ark of God to us because we didn't have it. We didn't even seek God during the days of Saul. We didn't inquire in the days of Saul at the at the ark. So his first act, his well-intentioned act, was to bring the ark to his capital city, Jerusalem. And so what we witnessed there is, is that a transition of history was taking place, a crucial moment in the time of the nation. And, and we need to understand 
And what we have to understand really is that in these events, these historic events, what is going to be revealed to us as we've been exploring is that those events uh, would reveal a future in-time prophetic understanding. For those of you just joining us, we encourage you to listen to the previous podcast and to understand the principle by which we we have this pro- podcast series going on because it's primarily um, these podcasts are primarily dealing with the prophetic times that we're living in, and that's what we're that's what we're gleaning from the Word of God, prayerfully so and humbly so, as the Spirit of God leads us. So we encourage you always to go back to the premise and the foundational scripture, which is found in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, which says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is that the scriptures themselves is what testify of the Lord. That's what he said of himself in John chapter 6, remember? He said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. He says, but it's the scriptures that testify of me. So when we approach these stories and we look into the Word of God, we are commanded by the Lord himself and by the Spirit of the Lord in the book of Revelation to understand that the Scriptures are speaking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that they are telling us prophetic things, especially us upon whom the ends of the world have come, as Paul would tell us. David understood this. And and as the events would unfold, in his going to get the ark out of Kirjath-Jerim, he would come to understand some incredible prophetic things. There was a 90-day season that transpired, and that season is very, very much a metaphor for a time when things would shift and change and come to be understood in a much more uh, profound and uh, prophetic way. Now, if in fact, and I want to ask this question, if in fact we're witnessing prophecy concealed in these historical events, these historical narratives of the scripture, then we need to look deeper to see if if it's really so, if we're really seeing prophetic events unfold in our time. Because if it is, and we believe that it is, then by the Holy Spirit's guidance, we will understand our times and, and, and we believe that, that, that our times are times which appear to reveal that history is beginning to head toward its pro- predicted conclusion. And the return of the king from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, is indeed at hand, praise God. <laughs> so uh, we're considering the events from the perspective of the church. Understand that. What is happening now? Because that's what we want to do. We want to glean information. Let us look a little closer at at something else we have not yet discussed yet, but but we believe that the Holy Spirit is revealing. So we want to ask the question today. When David went to get the ark, uh, where the ark, which represents God's presence, was in David's time, it reveals where it has come to be in our times. And we'll see that. So let's take a look. Well, Jeremy, would you read to us verse 6 again? Yes. And David went up and all Israel to Baalah, that is, to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. 
All right. So this is what we want to focus on today. I don't know how long the podcast will be today, but we're going to hit this point because it's relevant for our times. Understand that what happened, as we've been talking about over the past couple of days, is that when David went to get the ark representing the presence of the Lord, when he brought it out of the house of Abinadab, the ark was located in a particular geographic location. There were things that David came to understand. When we see that the ark came to the threshing floor in verse 9, which we've discussed at length, we encourage you again to go listen to the podcast one and two of this week. We see that the Lord, uh, his anger, it says in verse 10, was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there at the threshing floor. And so this freaked David out, right? Can you read verse 11 to us, Brother Jeremy, and verse 12? And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So what happened is when they tried to bring the presence of God to Jerusalem the first time, a whole series of events transpired, and it resulted in the death of the one who was bringing the ark and who set his hand upon the ark when they got to the threshing floor and the ox stumbled. We've been over that. We'll maybe look at, at a few other things there. But there's something here that began to transpire that David would come to understand Because when that happened and David became afraid and he said, how can I possibly bring the presence of God to me? We know what he did. Can you read verse 13 and 14 to us, Brother Jeremy? So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. All right. So what we learn from that is that is that once uh, that death took place, which stopped them in their tracks, and David takes the ark and brings it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And there in verse 14, we're told that the ark stayed in this man's house for three months, for 90 days. And it's it's very interesting what Brother Jeremy brought out a, a couple of days ago was that three months is, is equal to a season, which it is. There's 12 months in a year. You, you break it up into four seasons, right, each in three-month increments. So what the Holy Spirit is telling us here is that the ark would be taken from public display and brought into the house of a particular individual, Obed-Edom, and there it would remain for a season. Now, we know from the scripture, as we've discussed at length, that David would take that 90-day period and he would begin to search out and figure out what did we do wrong? How are we going to get the presence of God to be brought to the capital city? And, and, and so that's what he did in that season. And what's interesting as well is that, is that it was in that season that he began to understand and I don't want to hurry through this 
because we're still surfaced on some people's thought processes right now. I want you to go deeper now. Because what happened, which is extraordinary, is that when David got alone and began to reflect on what went wrong, the Spirit of God used the very events that he and the nation had just experienced and those around him, including the event of Obed-Edom and including the event of appointing Asaph ultimately as the one who would take care of the ark, which would come to rest in the tabernacle that David had made for it. All those events took David, which is extraordinary, took David into the realm of prophecy at such a level that he began to understand that what had actually just happened, the death of Saul, the going to get the ark, the great parade they had, the smiting of Uzzah resulting in his death, the removing of the ark from the house of Abinadab coming to Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom being blessed and his family, the season in which he went aside and began to research these things, all of it, including chapter 14, which is an account, if you go in and study on your own later, the, uh, uh, an account of David having two battles that he would fight against the Philistines. In, and, and in that battle, he would literally take the idols of the Philistines and burn them. And in the final battle, he would have God would would move on the tops of the mulberry trees, as it says here. Uh, and 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 take David David and his men into the second battle that they would engage. Now all of this is happening in this 90-day period. Remember, between the time the ark is still at Obed Eden's house, and and David goes into battle, and <clears throat> at the end of those battles, what does it say about David in verse 17 of chapter 14, brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, uh, and the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. All nations. David being a type of Christ. So when we see the battles that ensued in that 90-day period, which is amazing, God is using every single event that David would experience from trying to bring the ark and all that we've already described to happen, how it came to Obed-Edom's house, the two battles he fought. And in the meantime, he found time to be building houses and, and creating a tabernacle for God. He's learning as he's going along. What was revealed to him in that was that the actual historical events that he and his nation were experiencing, and especially as it pertained to the ark of God. I don't know how this works, but the Holy Spirit was able to take him and reveal to him that what he had just witnessed and what he had just lived through and what he was going through was connected to the end times and the end of the world. And we know this because of what he did when the ark finally came, they brought it into Jerusalem. And then read to us, Brother Jeremy, uh, First Chronicles chapter 16, uh, um, Verse 7. Yes. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord. 
into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Right. So what we see then is that when all the history finally transpires, the ark finally comes to rest in Jerusalem, it's in the tabernacle of David. The first thing he did when he turned the protection of the ark over to Asaph was to hand him a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper was Psalm 105, Psalm 96, and Psalm 106. That is what he got out of that 90-day period that he records. And one of, the, one of the most important things that he reveals in that piece of paper that he gave to Asaph and what he saw in all that they had just been through was at such a deep level of prophetic insight, which just blows my mind. When you consider the level to which the Holy Spirit was able to take David into the realm of understanding through his own personal experiences with the ark and the presence and the battles and the wars and all the stuff we've been describing, when it finally comes to rest, he then hands a piece of paper over to Asaph, and included in that, he goes on and says in verse 33, what, Brother Jeremy? Of chapter 16. 16. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord, because what? he cometh to judge the earth. What? What are you talking about, David? <laughs> what do you mean he's coming to judge the earth? What, what kind of thinking is that, man? Because that's where he came to. That's what he wrote. That's what he gave to Asaph. That's what we just read in verse 7, right? Then on that day, David delivered this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph. And then when you begin to read from verse 8 through verse 36, that's what he handed Asaph. And if you go through it, which we will in the coming days, you'll see an incredible unfolding of the understanding in that 90-day season was given to him. And what was revealed to him was what has just happened here is a foreshadow of the end of the world because what it's leading to is the presence of the Lord is that he's coming to judge the earth. Ah, see, you need to think about that. I can't lead you all up the mountain. You got to get there by the spirit, but <laughs> that's what he saw. And if you'll take time to, to, to meditate on it, it's, it's extraordinary. So we fast forwarded ahead in order to go back now. Because he does something, and the question that we're asking then is, can we see uh, prophetic parallels for our time? What was actually happening is extraordinary. We have to ask this question, where was the ark when he went to get it? And if these events are, are representative of end times, then we're going to see some incredible parallels with what the prophetic scripture says is just ahead of us. And where we believe the ark has been up until this point, up until this global pandemic, so to speak. Let's take a look. Read that again, would you again, Brother Jeremy, for us in verse 6. Yeah, chapter 13. Yes. <clears throat> and David went up and all Israel to Baalah, that is to kerjath Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called Ani. All right. So when David goes to find the ark, 
he first revealed to us in verse 3 that it's been 20, 22 years, like Brother Jeremy pointed out yesterday, under the rule of, of Saul, the house of Saul, that the presence of, of the Lord, the ark of the Lord, has not been centrally um, in, the, in the heart of the nation. It, it's, it's been diminished and been brought to a particular place, and that place is called Ba'alah. The Hebrew name is Kirjath Jerem. Brother Jeremy, you have your little Hebrew thing there? I, yes, I do. Tell us what the word Ba'ala means. It means Ba'ala, the name of three places in Palestine, but it, the, the meaning is mistress. Hmm. It's, an, it's another name for Kirjath Jerem or Kirjath Ba'al. Uh, so it means mistress. Means. Now go to the root word. Yes. It means mistress. Now go to the root word. What else does it mean? And it means mistress, female owner, sorceress, necromancer. Necromancer. That's good. Necro. It goes on. To, necro. Yes, necromancer. Necromancer. Noun of relationship. Yes. So where the presence of God was, consider this, brothers and sisters, when David goes to get it. Mm. Wow. Is in the place that is called the place of the sorceress. Wow. Are you there, Brother Fernando? Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it was residing in the place of the sorceress under the control of who? Abinadab, Uzzah, and Ahio. Now we'll get to that mm -hmm. in a second, but that should set your wheels in motion here because we're talking yeah, about end time, time events, right? Oh, Somebody yeah. say something. Help me out here. Comment on what you're thinking about. I mean, what the Holy Spirit is intending to say, um, you know, as it relates to us today is, is the very same thing that those that have housed or these pretenders that claim to house the presence of God uh, and, and in today's day, the modern days, are really just that, sorcerers, uh, which yeah. is, uh, they're really, really mixing themselves with demonic powers. Yes, that's right. right? <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's a lot that the Holy Spirit is saying through the life of these three characters as it regards today and our day. If we have eyes to see, this is yeah. how serious the situation is. You know, it's not a, a matter of, well, you know, I like his doctrine. And yeah, it might be a little different here and there than what you guys teach. No, it's it's a matter of uh, you're preaching a true gospel or you're preaching sorcery. Yes. Flat out. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and that's, a powerful, uh, that's a powerful thing to consider. Uh, yeah. As well, and 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 also, brothers, if we take it even further than that, and, and we'll get into this in a second, but this is mystery Babylon. This is that sorceress. This is a type of that <laughs> that mistress, yes. that, that that mother of harlots. Remember, a Kirjath Jerem, like Brother Jeremy was just reading. I don't think we looked that up yet, but it literally means the city of the forest. And, and it's interesting how 
how the, the Holy Spirit uses both names here, Ba'alah and Kirjath Jerem. He uses the Hebrew uh, name for the city, but he also uses the uh, the, the name Ba'alah uh, to name the city, which is what it's also named uh, amongst the heathen nations. Kirjath Jerem representing uh, the city of the forest, if you know your history, it is the high places where the forests were, where they yes. would take, right, and they would worship their idols. This is exactly where the ark was. This is where it came to be. And it is a foreshadow of this mystery Babylon. Because in David going to take the presence out from there, we are being, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, we are being forewarned exactly what would be predicted in the book of Revelation when the angel cries to the people at the end of time, come out from among her, my people. And 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 this is this is something we'll just put a little pause button on that, but let's focus in on this because what's being revealed is that David goes up and all Israel to Ba'Allah and to Kirjath, which is Kirjath Jerem. It's the city of the forest. Therefore, it can be called the city of the mistress, the sorceress, those that call upon demonic spirits, right? The necromancer. All of that is wrapped up in where the presence of God had been taken. It was brought there. And like Brother Fernando pointed out uh, well, is that is that those who were in control of it, they represent something. They represent a leadership, right? That brought the presence of God to this place. Now, the parallels are striking. Who brought it there? <laughs> well, the people of Kirjath Jerem did. They brought it there. But remember, it was the idolatry, because we, we went over this, this history yesterday. It was the idolatry of the nation of Israel itself. It was the ministry of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, that caused the presence of the Lord, the ark of the Lord, to be removed from the nation. Remember? Way back when? That's how it got taken yeah. in the first place from Shiloh. And again, when the ark returned to the nation, remember how they sent it out of the territory of the Philistines in the new cart with the two oxen, and it came to the men of Beth Shemesh. But when it came there and when the presence returned to the nation, those men of the city, in essence, uh, <laughs> they rejected something. Take a look at this. Turn over there real quick because we're going to make our way to Ba'ala here and show you how it got there. Take a look at it in First Samuel chapter 6. Brother Jeremy, would you? Because yes. when the Philistines got rid of the presence and sent it back, it came to Beth Shemesh. 1 Samuel chapter 6, and when it came there, it's very interesting. <laughs> it came, and and they sent it with certain offerings and so forth and so on. But then it comes to this place in verse 18. Can you read verse 18? Yes. <clears throat> and the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, Belongeth to the five lords, both of fenced cities and of country villages 
even unto the great stone of Abel, whereon they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua, the Bet Shemite. When the presence came back to them, it came to a place called the Stone of Abel. It is the very place where in ancient times, and this is this is debated, but this is the conclusion I've come to in, in, in the studies I've done over the years. This Stone of Abel quite possibly was the original place where Abel offered a lamb to the Lord. When he offered his lamb, that stone is, is the altar that he used when he offered the lamb, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the presence came to. And they put the ark on top of that, on that very altar. And, it, and, it, and it's in the field that belongs to Joshua, who's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's the one who led the children of Israel into the promised land. He's a foreshadow of our heavenly Savior transition from Moses to Joshua. When the presence comes back, he reveals himself at the stone of Abel in the field of Joshua. And what he was trying to tell the nation was that your sins and the sins of your priesthood, the sins of your ministry caused the ark to be taken for a season. Mm -hmm. And and if and if you want to have my presence, you're going to have to admit that, and you're going to have to come to the cross. It's it's really to the place of sacrifice. I mean, it's a type of the cross. It's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you. That's what's going to be required: a repentance, an acknowledgement of your sins, and it's all going to be done in the field of Joshua. It's very symbolic. But what did the men of of do instead? Verse 19 and 20, would you read that to us, Brother, Brother Jeremy? And he smote the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 in threescore and ten men. And the people lamented, because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? What they were literally saying there, brothers and sisters, was was rather than coming and repenting in the very symbolic place that the presence of the Lord came to, the ark, rather than it, you know, he drew their attention to Abel, right? This great stone of Abel, this 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 platform, this monument, this stone where the original sacrifice was made. In the field of Joshua, another type of the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings his presence there. But rather than coming by way of repentance and a surrender of, 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 of one's will to the will of the Lord, instead they handled the ark in a very cavalier way. They turned it into a spectacle. They touched his holy presence and began to, to have absolutely no respect for it. It cost the lives of 50,000. 1070 people and their response to that because they called it a great slaughter was was to say who who can stand before this holy god in other words <laughs> they they were rejecting the standard way of seeking god through humility and sacrifice 
instead turning it into an irreverent display, a curiosity, which cost the lives of tens of thousands of people. And what they decided to do instead is to send it away. They relinquished the presence of God into the hands of who, Brother Jeremy? Verse 21. And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to you. Incredible. They relinquished the presence of God mm-hmm. and handed it over to the men of the forest, the high places of Baalah, the place of the sorceress, presence went in the care of the men of Kirjath Jerim chapter 7 verse 1 they did indeed come and they took the ark of the Lord and they brought it to the house of Abinadab in the hill and they sanctified Eleazar and his son to keep the ark of the Lord so they brought it to the hill that represents mystery Babylon they brought it into the house of Abinadab which is where David went to get it but what we are literally witnessing here is they relinquished the presence into the hand of the men of the sorceress in a way. The spirit of Babylon is seen here. It came to Abinadab, to Uzzah, and to Ahio uh, 40 years later is when they would be in care of it. There seemed to be someone that represented, um, you know, because they say he was sanctified in verse 7, Eliezer, to take protection of it. But by the time we get to Uzzah and the time of David, uh, it's no longer this Eliezer. He's off the scene. And it's Uzzah and Ahio that are controlling it. This is where we are right now. Wow. See, I think that the Lord is taking away control of his presence from today, from the false Babylonian uh, mother of harlot system, where the leadership has brought the presence to. See, they relinquished this holy standard and they handed it over to a charismatic church. <laughs> uh, I don't know how, I don't want to get everybody mad at me. But you see, I see the same thing that's happened in, in, in our time. Brother Jeremy, I think you were going to say something. What were you going to say? I just think it's interesting. If you put two and two together, if you put our numbers together about in the days of Saul, about 20 years. And yes. then right before that, it was 40 years. 40 and 20 yes. make about a generation. Talking yes. about a whole generation. Mm-hmm. Being being in Kirath Jiren. <laughs> and, yes. and, and, and that's what we have seen in the last, really, generation. Something has happened uh, in our midst. I'm talking about our times. There's been a yes. mixing. There's been yeah. a, a, a confusion, a mixing of the holy things of God. It's been a gradual uh, step by step. It's just something that's been happening that has led us to the mess that we're in today, right? Yeah. Where uh, we don't, we need to go back. That's what we are in a season, like David, where we have to search, where we have to analyze. You know, why was Uzzah yeah. smitten, as you said? Why was Asaph entrusted? 
what what can we learn from the blessing in Obed Edom's house, the ark being there? And, and yes. this is what we are in this season. So I just think I just thought it was kind of uh, interesting. You're talking about almost a generation mm-hmm. being where where it was at. That's a now what I'm about. Amen. And what I'm about to say may not be easily received, but we're looking at prophetic parallels for our time in this country, in the United States of America, and in this compromised church and land in which we find ourselves in right now. See, what happened was a corrupt, a corruption of the nation led to the glory departing, right? Ichabod in the days of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. The ark is captured by the world, in essence, and it creates quite a, a bunch of turmoil and havoc wherein they don't want anything to do with it, and they send it away. When it finally comes back to the next generation of Beth Shemesh, it makes its appearance at the cross. The great stone of Abel in the field of Joshua, all symbolic of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The standards that that require remind me a lot of the messages that were preached coming out of World War II, a great war that brought, um, you know, a revival of, of, of evangelism into uh, into our nation as we came out of the 40s. And, and, and then once we came into the 50s, it's almost as if um, the, the standard of holiness that was required uh, because of the great blessings that had come to the nation was rejected. And and what was being preached and what began to evolve out of it was an ideology that the standards of the Word of God were too uh, too stringent. Mm-hmm. And 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 what these men of Beshemesh said is kind of what we said coming out of the fifties into the sixties is who can stand before this holy God? We don't want anything to do with this kind of religion. And so they turned the presence of the Lord over into another leadership and where that leadership took sorry for the uh barking dogs where that leadership took the the ark was into the place that represents the sorceress in in kirjath jerim the city of the forest the high places where incense was burned to idolatry and and Ba'Allah, which represents the sorceress, the mistress. It is a foreshadow of mystery Babylon, and it is meant to be a signal, as it was to King David. Remember what we're talking about here, because in these events, when he went away and began to really seek God over what had just happened, God unfolded to him the history of the world, even unto the coming of the Lord and him executing judgment upon the earth. That's what he wrote and what we read in First Chronicles 16, verse 33, in that psalm that he handed over to Asaph when the ark finally came to rest in the tabernacle that he constructed. And so when we see this presence being removed from one generation, given over to another leadership that would corrupt itself, so that by the time that David came, the three that are mentioned as being the caretakers of the ark are Abinadab, which represents nobility, Uzzah, which represents strength, and Ahio, which represents what? The resemblance of a brother. Yes. Right? And so <laughs> and so I know this is difficult, but this is this is this is exactly where we are today. This is what has happened. And what we are seeing in this story 
is really the book of Revelation concealed. And and what we are seeing is that a transition is taking place. Because remember, Saul dies, David comes to the forefront, and he seeks to extract the ark representing the Spirit of God from the city of the forest, from the place of the sorceress. And yet, what happens is, as we talked about yesterday, is the leadership comes from that place and comes to the threshing floor in verse 9 of Shidon, which is the place of the sword, the place of destruction. And what we're trying to hammer home here in, as it relates to our time is the parallels are striking. The prophetic parallels are striking. Because we have something that caused a pause in the nation. We have David, a type of Christ, coming to get the ark. Although David, the man, his intentions are right. And we talked about this yesterday and the day before, that this was a crucial moment at the early stages of, of his domain, his, his royal rule. And we talked about Abinadab's house and Uzzah and Ahio representing a ministry that has been taking and 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 uh, guiding the presence of God in the hill of the sorceress. That's where they brought it to. And that's where it's come to in our time. Part of what has happened in the United States of America and throughout the world is precisely because God is dealing with his church. And that they have, those who have been the caretakers, if you will, of the presence of God, have brought his presence to the hill of the sorceress the mother of harlots. They have tried to place God in a worldly setting, which is where David found his presence. But the hard thing for David and the people of that time was, was that all they had ever known was that the presence of God, the ark of God, had been in the caretaking of this kind of leadership. And like we talked about yesterday, when David goes to retrieve the ark, he steps aside and lets that leadership bring the ark out with great fanfare and hill song like music, right? Verse 8, loud noise with all their might, music blaring. They have it on a new cart. They, they've repackaged it and have sought to bring it to Jerusalem in the same way they've been taking care of it all mixed in the hill of the sorcerers for 22 years at this point, And they lead the presence of God out. See, what I think God is revealing to us is that, like we talked about yesterday, is these men that have been the caretakers, these, these, these ruling, religious, charismatic, Pentecostal types, who have brought the presence of God and interjected into the church and the consciousness of the nation within the church, or the church within the nation, I should say, or the nation state of the church in this country. They have so deadened the senses. First, they reject the, the, the demands of the cross, which is what Beshemesh did. Then they take the presence, the ark, and they bring it to the hill of the sorceress. That's what has been the progression of the history of the church as we came out of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s until we finally hit the year 2000 and all hell began to break loose. 
in this nation as it, as as world events began to transpire and change but rather than repenting for instance in 911 2001 which we talked about last last week rather than repenting at that key moment the church got worse and it's and and to where we are today 20 how many years has it been 20 years later 19 years I think you were mentioning that the other day, Brother Jeremy. And as you've been pointing out, this is the second time you've brought this up today, there was a 22-year period, right, between the time that the Ark came to, to Kirjath, Jerem, Ba'Allah, the hill of the sorcerers, and the extraction of the presence of God from that place. Is it any, isn't it interesting if you want to talk about parallels and just kind of irony here? We're, we're yeah. coming close to that 20-year period now, aren't we? Yes. And, and what are we seeing? We're seeing a church under incredible crisis. We're seeing the shutdown of the church houses across the land. We're seeing uh, these mega churches, the oozes of the world, struggling now with all their might to maintain their position of power. They are jockeying for position at this very moment, trying their best to maintain their hold upon the ark, and it's going to kill them. Because that is what God has determined. Judgment is going to come to that house. It has already happened. The difficult thing for the servants of the Lord is that all they have seen for multiple decades are these kinds of people in control of the presence of God. And so initially, they will, they will, they will acquiesce to that leadership coming out of this crisis. But God's putting a stop to it. God is shutting it down. It's being examined. Remember, Abinadab means nobility. The Pentecostal charismatics who have taken the presence of God and mixed it with the spirit of Babylon, which is the spirit of the world, where the standards have been uh, relinquished, where the demands of the gospel and, and Calvary have been cast aside in favor of a feel-good, uh, psycho-babble kind of pop psychology message with a little Jesus sprinkled in to legitimize its existence. But it's not the gospel. Everything goes now. If you're a big-time preacher and, 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 and you fall, eh, no big deal. We're used to it. Uh, we're, no one's perfect. Go ahead and preach us another sermon. If you're a false prophet that gets up and says that COVID-19 is being blown off the shores of America, oh, we're not held to account. Who cares? They're false prophets. We like the way they preach anyway. Or go down the list. All of them are seeking to lay hold to that presence and maintain their position of strength. But God has shut it down. And and because we have only seen these people and a, and a generation has grown up under it who have been the, the – uh, they, they, they present themselves as the nobility of the church. Their children have now transitioned into the positions of power that the house of Abinadab, if you will, uh, you know, constructed for them. And now we have Uzzahs right. and Ahios, those who look like brothers, but they're not, and those who try to maintain their hold on the presence of God, that is the ruling religious elite, laying hold to it, seizing it with their strength, and trying to guide it, because that's what happens. When you look at, at uh, the threshing floor, 
Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? The threshing floor, verse 9. That's what happened. What verse is that? Verse 9. I'm in chapter 13. Is that where we're at, Brother? And That's when they where came, we're at. Huh? And when they came unto the threshing floor of Shadon, Usa put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Check that out. Who do these oxen represent? Those that are carrying the presence of God, bearing the burden of it? They represent a false church. See, they have been carrying and lugging around God's presence, supposedly. They have been the ones that have been carrying it for decades. But they are being brought to account right now at the threshing floor of Shaidan. <laughs> it's the place right. that exposes it's the and the reason when they get to the threshing floor that that they stumble is because it is the threshing floor that 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 exposes that that's who they are they can't walk straight through the examination they stumble precisely because they are incapable of 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 surviving under the scrutiny of the holy spirit particularly at this time but what Uzzah does is at this time, when the scrutiny is taking place, he seeks to hold the ark. And the word hold means to seize, to seize it and take possession of it. Mm -hmm. And this is what angered the Lord, because what was exposed here was that in spite of all this, and what it really is an allegory of is the attempt to guide the presence of the Lord in the direction and in it, that they wanted to go and in the and under their control they're exercising their strength to lead the presence in the way that they want to take it forward and God said at that moment in verse 10 the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he smote him why because he sought to seize the ark and he died right there. This is how serious this whole system that we're up under right now is, and what this global trial is exposing in this compromised, uh, idolatrous, false church of this hour. This is what was exposed. And, and, and again, I want to hone in on this, because what we learn from this event is that the entire nation, the Levites, the people, even the king himself, they knew no other way. So it freaked David out. He, he, he was upset by it, and then he was afraid of it. Because it dawned on him at that moment, we are incredibly deficient, and we need to figure out what have we done wrong. Uzzah's is lying dead on the floor. <laughs> I mean, right. you've got a you have a Hio out in front of it, A H I O, his brother, whose name means somebody that looks like a brother. You have Uzzah, right? You have Uzzah trying to guide the presence, bringing it out mm -hmm. of the house of the sorceress. God said, "Enough is enough." 
And because you seek under the scrutiny of the threshing floor to lay hold of it as if you are the one who is going to guide my presence at this time, it's going to cost you everything. That's what's happening right now. It has cost these boys everything, and they're going to see it more and more as these days unfold before us. The presence is being taken from them, and they are, they are trying with all their might to prevent that. But God is stepping in. Any thoughts so far? We're almost done. <laughs> Brother, um, I, I think it's important, too, that we are where's the responsibility of the people because um it's not just right them the, the the preachers like in a time like let me see uh in the time that we're living right now a lot of things are being exposed we're seeing it right people coming out with cheating scandals uh stealing money all these scandals coming out right now and and the people just seem to just brush it off and encourage these preachers to continue to minister you know, so they're just, yeah. we're just, a, uh, yeah. we, we, we we mess up what God is trying to do, <laughs> which is, Absolutely. you know what I mean, to open up our eyes. And we just kind of, we just kind of sweep things up. No, but you're the man of God. And who am I? We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Blah, blah, blah. And and right. I think there's a responsibility in the people that we're at fault too, you know, uh, for going ahead of what God is trying to reveal. Yes. In um in this hour. And so um I just thought that's 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 interesting. Very much so. And and again, in light of what the book of Revelation reveals in Revelation chapter eighteen four, a cry is being made for them to come out of Babylon, right? To come out of this compromised religious system. That you be not partakers of her sins nor receive of her plagues, Revelation eighteen four. That's what we're seeing here. And like you talked about the responsibility of the people, yes. But what we're also seeing is that King David uh, gives us a, a great insight into how he reacted. Yeah. He he was moved by fear and went to seek, first and foremost, what has actually happened here. And so what we see then is that for a season, the ark disappears from the public view. A judgment has come down on that former leadership that led it to the hill of the sorceress. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I tell you what. I mean, this needs to be preached. <laughs> but we're teaching it. But, I mean, this is yeah. this is where – go ahead, brother. Somebody say something. <laughs> brother Marty, it, it, yeah. this is very – it's very true what you're saying. We need to study what David did as a – not just as a consequence of what happened, but because it really in him was a desire he, for, for that season. While the ark was left in Obed-Edom's house, one of the things that I'm sure he processed was, how did we get here? Why was, why was Uzzah uh, smit by the Lord? You know, yes. Isn't it interesting we live in this YouTube era, right? where there's so many people that dedicate their ministries and exposing, oh, look, he was found doing this, and I think he did it because of that. You know, like they're like gossip, gossipers, you know, and saying so-and-so did this, this preacher, blah, blah, blah. But nobody is getting to the root of it. And, and, and these things that are happening are there to, it, God is provoking us, I don't know, for a lack of a better word, 
to search out these things, why we're in the condition we're in. How did we get there? It doesn't do you any good just to expose and, and, and just people being self-righteous, you know, well, you know, look at this right. person, blah, and this and that. Nobody's perfect or excusing the actions of somebody. But David inquired of the Lord. David investigated. He took a season. He left the, 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 he left the, the, the ark be at Obed-Edom's house and sought the Lord. What is the order of God? Where are we missing it, God? What, why did this happen? What is the proper way to do it? Those are the deep things that God is calling us to in this hour, to search, to search how did we get here, why are we here, and how do we get back, you know? And so I, I think that's a good point to see and study what David did Yes. after everything happened. Oh, that's excellent, man, and and that's exactly right. And I think that that one of the things that that we need to understand, as you're saying, is that King David and his people they would come to understand what you're talking about, like you just said, a season where the ark has been removed, and what was it removed from? The house of Abinadab, right? It was taken out of their control from the old and the corrupt ways. They had corrupted it, and that was symbolic of having it in the city of Bala'ah, right? The, the the city of the sorceress, the city of the necromancer, the mistress. That's adultery. That's idolatry. In the city of the forest, Kirjath Jerem, that's where it was. Under the caretaking of a of a of a so-called nobility uh, that that represents a brother, but really isn't, and yet has used its strength to guide the presence as if it is some sort of political prop, some source of, uh, you know, uh, that, that brings favor and and uh, and uh, and an advantage. They want to continue with it, but I think what we're witnessing, like they witnessed then, is that it's been shut down and it's being taken from them. And what's really cool, like you said, brother Jeremy. Is where did it come? David, David, David does something in verse thirteen and fourteen. Where did it go? Let's look at that again. It says, "So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed Edom in his house three months." And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. That's amazing to me because what, what the Lord was speaking to me about that was that that what we see happening right now is his presence is being removed from that old corrupt system. I like what Brother Fernando shared the other day when you talked about Brother Fernando, uh, that David asked that question, how do I bring the presence to me? Right? He was willing to ask that question. You know, a lot of us would have just said, man, the standard's too high here. <laughs> but it showed his heart. He wasn't content with not having the present. He's going he's gonna to find out what it's going to take. But what's cool to me is that he also, he brings it to Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And, and his presence came to rest with this man. His very name means uh, servant or humble, right? And what they represent to me are the servants, the humble, the set-apart ones who don't participate in the spectacle. You see, the presence came to him. Ah, oh, my goodness, man. Praise you, Jesus. 
Obed-Edom wasn't in that procession. Some of you have felt so isolated over the last several years, and even more so now. You know, you you look around at the landscape of what is called the church, that, that, that which claims to have the presence of God. And for many, many years now, you have seen that that there's nothing but a bunch of Abinadabs, Uzas, and Ahios in control of the presence of God, and they've taken it to Babylon. That's where they've kept it, and that's where they've led the people of God to an idolatrous city of the forest, if you will, to the mistress. And and that's what we see in Obed-Edom. He wasn't about any of that. And what's so profound to me is that there came a moment of national crisis here and a transition from the old Saul-like structure to the new spirit of the living God under the, under the authority of King David. And those that had been apart from that system for, for, for quite some time, we see that, that, that David, a type of Jesus Christ, brings the presence of God to them. It doesn't just say Obed-Edom. It says Obed-Edom and his family. Praise God. Yes. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Because God is bringing his presence to a whole new segment of the church right now, the real church, the remnant. Understand that something new is happening. That's really what we're trying to say here. Asaph was witnessing all this. I got to throw Brother Asaph in there before I forget him, because that's what we're talking about. He's seeing all this, because when we get to Asaph 74 Psalm again, it's going to be with all this background we've been discussing and why what he wrote comes to rest right on the doorstep of our time. God is separating his people, just like Obed-Edom was separate from all that parade. And David functions as Christ at that moment by bringing the presence of God to that separated one and his family. They're separate from Baalah. They're not part of Babylon. They've come out from it. They're not partaking of her sins. They're not, they're not buying the jive of the modern church, just like Obed-Edom didn't buy the jive of Uzzah, Ohio, and Abinadab's house back in the day. They're separate with their families. They're servants. That's what his name means. Obed means servant. They're humble. They're separate. They're not part of the spectacle. They have separated themselves from that whole system. And God has taken note. I want to encourage you today to understand the presence of God is coming to your house and to your family. Isn't that what it says, Brother Jeremy, in verse 14? Read that again. Yes. <clears throat> and the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom in all that he had. In all that he had. You, the answers to your prayers are right here now. If you've been separate from that whole thing, if, if you've wondered what in the world has been going on, God's presence, Jesus is sending his presence to your house and to your family. And everything that you have is going to be blessed. Brother Fernando, his presence has come to your house. You may have been clipped in your elbow, brother, but other people's would have got run over. <laughs> and, God, 
<laughs> Amen. Brother, he, he, he's blessed you and protected you, man. It could have been a lot worse, right? Brother Jeremy, his presence has come to your house. You that are listening, his presence has come to your house. That's what he's doing. A new thing is happening. Remember, Obed-Edom wasn't there. He was already separate. The ark came to his house. God came to him. God is coming to his humble, true church right now. A new thing is happening. The old, the compromised, it's being exposed. And it's it's being judged. It's being removed. The Lord's presence is, is coming <laughs> to rest upon his hidden church like Obed-Edom. And our heavenly David is bringing that presence to us right now, if you can see it, if you can sense it. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, because that's what's happening. The old and the corrupt is being exposed. They will not carry the presence. They will not be able to steer the gospel in their own image anymore. They are going to look like the empty suits they really are. And their systems are coming down. You see, yes. David saw that and understood that at such a level as we'll explore in the coming days and what he wrote about it. Now listen to this. What was Obed-Edom? Because remember, the presence came to Obed-Edom's house. What was his destiny? Read verse, uh, could you read chapter 16, verse uh, verse 38, brother? Well, let's start with 37. Yeah. Read 37 and 38. So he left there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Asaph and his brethren to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with their brethren, three score and eight, Obed-Edom also the son of Jeduthun and Hosea to be porters. So suddenly, from just being completely apart from the spectacle, him and his family off to the side, no one paying them any attention except God knew, and in the form of, uh, uh, you know, in, in the in the type of of who the Lord Jesus Christ was happening right now, is like David brought that ark to Obed Edom's house. God is bringing His presence to His hidden, separate people, the humble, the poor, the persecuted, the the discontented with modern religion, but who love the Lord. That's who this presence is coming to, but also a commission is coming because Obed-Edom didn't stay in his house, right? David made him a porter in the house of the tabernacle of David. That's what you just read, Brother Jeremy. Obed-Edom with his brothers became the porters of the tabernacle of David. What is a porter? Gatekeeper. Yeah. Yes, it's a gatekeeper. It's a doorkeeper. Yeah. They are the ones that are going to guard the presence of God. They are the ones that are going to open access to that fellowship or shut the door. They're not going to let phony people come in. They've been tempered by the wilderness experience. They've cultivated a relationship and learned about the presence of God in such a way that the visible, ceremonial, systematized, Babylonian compromised church, false church system that stumbles 
at the examination of the threshing floor of Shaidan, that system is dying right before our eyes, and a new thing is happening. Yes. In that season, King King David saw this, and he made this man a doorkeeper in the tabernacle of David. Is it any wonder, and we'll close with this, Brother Jeremy, would you read to us Psalm 84, verse 10, what David wrote? You know what? I have it right here because that's what that's what the Spirit drew me to exactly when you said what was in David's mind when he wrote this psalm in this verse. Now I get it. For a day in thy court is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the Hallelujah. house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'd rather be like Obadiah, right? Isn't that what he said? I'd rather be like Obadiah. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. That's where we're headed, church. That's where we are. You know, uh, I was thinking about Obed-Edom's name. In its simplest definition, Obed, Obed means servant and Edom means, uh, uh, um, Obed-Edom, it means red, right? But yes. what God is telling us there, because the word Obed means a servant. In other words, he was a servant that honored God. That was Obed. But red, Edom, you know what it means? It also means one who causes to bless. <laughs> and I wonder wow. if the presence of God in the the ark that was while it was in Obed Edom and David seeing the blessing <laughs> that was coming yeah. for those three months made him bless, you know, in a good way, you know. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. But <laughs> I don't know, man. This is this is good. This is good. Praise God. <laughs> David made that that brother a, a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord and years later he would write about it and say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a poor and to dwell in, in, in the hill of the sorceress. <laughs> Hallelujah yeah. for a thousand days. Jesus is coming, church. That's what we're trying to say in all the different ways we've been preaching to you over these last several months. He's coming and a new thing has begun. There are days of trial and tribulation ahead of us. Yeah. To come out from among that system. Do not touch the unclean thing. Let us not partake of her sins that we receive not of her plagues, and Jesus will hide us in these times. Obed-Edom was hidden, but the Spirit of Christ knew exactly where he was and who he could trust with the presence of God. Is that you? Is that me? Let us pray that it's so. Brother Jeremy, Brother Fernando, any, any last words? Yes, I mean, what a way to finish this. <laughs> Better, you know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. There's Amen. not nothing light. It's nothing light that David was saying. And he says, I'd rather be Obed-Edom. Hallelujah. We Praise pray God. that you've been blessed today. And uh, I've definitely sensed his presence today. And uh, I pray that you have too. I pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue to uh, with the grace and the mercy and help of God to unlock what God is saying through Asa. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.